All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Mount Olive. You guys are as fired up as the first service. Maybe the, everyone online is like, yeah, well, thank you. So fired up. I'm fired up for this morning. I'm really excited. We're in a series uh, entitled AIM, and I'm, I'm super excited for today. In fact, my prayer today, this is all the time, but especially today that you don't hear my words come out, that you just hear the voice of your heavenly Father through his spirit and by his word, and uh, you are built up and encouraged today. Um, when you hear the word Christian, what do you think of? When you hear the word Christian, maybe when you hear the word Christian, you think of angry protesters fighting their cause. Maybe that's what you think of when you think of Christian. Maybe when you hear the word Christian, you think of, you know, just a quiet churchgoer who minds their own business. That's a, a Christian, right? Um, maybe when you hear the word Christian, <laughs> that was good. Maybe, maybe when you hear the word Christian, uh, maybe you think of uh, the hot and bothered blogger who just is always talking about how the world's going to hell in a handbasket, right? That, that's what Christian. Um, maybe when you hear the word Christian, you think of a, an honest, hardworking employee, someone who just lives their life and simply does, you know, some good things. Maybe when you hear the word Christian, you think of a, a volunteer in, at the food bank or a social assistance program or those that help the poor, the needy. Maybe when you hear the word Christian, maybe you think of uh, the social media influencer spouting out their ideas about politics and society and what could make the world a better place. Maybe that's you. What do you, what do you think of? What pictures come to mind when you hear the word Christian? Does it change when you hear the word a follower of Jesus? Or when you hear the, a word, the word a disciple? You know, originally, those three words meant pretty much the same thing. And uh, this series, in this series, we're, this AIM series, we're discovering what, what does it actually mean to be a follower, a disciple, a Christian. You know, our mission as a church, and hopefully you know this by now, is to see people become devoted followers of Jesus. And we didn't come up with this mission. This is actually a mission Jesus gave his followers and said, this is, we kind of put it in our words, but he gave the mission and we simply received it. And so as a church, as a group, a, a congregation of people, this is what we do together. This is what we do individually is see people become devoted followers of Jesus. But just as when we hear the word Christian or follower or disciple, we could ask 10 people and we might have 10 different responses. Without, we need to define what is a devoted follower? What is it that we're actually looking to see happen in our lives and in the lives of others? And so uh, we started to wrestle with that. And last week, if you're here or listen online, uh, we defined a follower of Jesus, a disciple, a, a Christian this way, growing to be someone who lives like Jesus would live. Meaning we, our goal isn't to, to live like Jesus lived, like we have to be a Jewish male and you know, give up Facebook and social media because Jesus never had that. But the goal is to live like Jesus would live if he were in my shoes, in my situation, whether that's male or female, young or old, whatever circumstance we face, how would Jesus live in this circumstance, in this situation? Growing to be someone who lives like Jesus would live. But how, what parts of our lives does that impact? And we started to work through further. There's three significant spheres of our lives. As we think, how would, Jesus, how would I grow to be like Jesus? How would Jesus transform me? There's three significant spheres of our lives that he begins to transform. 
And this isn't something we made up. It actually comes out of a passage called, become famously known as the Great Commission. And some words Jesus spoke right before he ascended to heaven to his disciples, his followers, Christians, and said, here's what I want you to do. And as he said, here's what I want you to do, he defines for us what it is that changes in us as we grow to become someone who lives like Jesus would live. And let me just read the Great Commission, and and, and it shows us the aim, the goal, the aim of what it looks like. And AIM actually is an acronym that we pulled out of the Great Commission, Action Identity Mission. I know it's corny and it's a little cheesy, but it helps us remember what's the goal, what's the aim of becoming like Jesus? What does it look like? And here's what Jesus said. Then Jesus came to them and said to his disciples, his followers, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Therefore, because of that authority, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make what you've just been made. See, earlier in in Matthew, chapter 419, Jesus, when he called his, his followers to follow him, he said, follow me and I will make you. There was this idea of transformation. They would be changed. They would be formed into his image. And now he's, as he's leaving, he says, go and do the same thing I did with you. Multiply. Do it again. And this is the mission part of aim, right? The M. What about the I? The I comes next and he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Baptizing has to do with identity, and, and, and so he says, you know, being formed in the image is, is receiving the mission that Jesus had, doing the same thing he did in mission, making disciples, but also in identity. We gain his identity. And then, and we're going to talk about that today. And then he goes on and we get the A. He says, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Meaning our behavior, our actions are transformed into the image of Christ. So as we are growing to be someone who lives like Jesus would live, it affects our actions, our identity, and our mission. Today we're going to talk about identity. When I was uh, going into grade nine, we moved from one community really far northern Alberta high level to another community which is really far northern Alberta called Grand Prairie. And that move as a 14, 15 year old uh, teenager boy Uh, That move afforded me an opportunity I wasn't looking for and I didn't even really uh, realize was coming. It was an opportunity to recreate myself. See, I was going to a new town with new school, new people where no one knew me. And so I had this opportunity. No one knew my past. No one knew what I was up until this point. No one knew who I was. And it was this, this interesting thing that, and I don't know if you've ever moved to a new place where there, no one knew you. You were just completely new. It's like, I get to kind of present any version of myself that I want, right? Nobody knows. Nobody knows my past. No one knows how, the, the decisions I've made. No one knows the parts of my personality that, you know, are kind of weird or whatever. I can kind of hide that for a season, right? Like, I had this opportunity to kind of recreate myself. I don't know if you've ever wanted that in your life. If you've had a desire, you know, there's some things about your identity as you think about your life, and our identity is often formed by our personality, but also through a lifetime of decisions and actions and mistakes, And people kind of know us. And maybe there's a part about you that people know and you grew up in the same town. It's like people just know about me and there's parts of me that I wish I could shed. 
I wish I could recreate. There's some things that I've done and people just know me as, yeah, that's the person who was divorced and that's the person who made that mistake and that's the person who had that addiction and that's the person who had that vice or that struggle. And, and our, our identity is like, I wish I could just remake myself. And maybe you've had that same desire to maybe move to a new town and just start over. Clean slate. But there's one truth that presents two glaring problems with that desire. And the truth is, when you go, you're still with you. Right? That's the truth. And this has two glaring problems. And that means your past follows you. Right? Uh, They may not know. They're new. But guess who knows about what you've done in your past? You can't get away from you. And not only does your past follow you to you, but your vices follow you, don't they? And you, you find out that it doesn't matter how many marriages, new marriages you dive into, your behavioral struggles, your vices, your addiction, they show up in the next new relationship. And you destroy that one. And your temper, if it's not dealt with, it stays with you. Your vices follow you. So I have a question for you today. What part of you do you wish wasn't you? What part of you do you wish, I wish if I could just start over, I'd love to have that part of me released, shed, recreated. You know, as it relates to your identity, unless someone deals with you, the problem is only at best masked, but it's never taken away. Because everywhere you go, you goes with you. But here's the good news of the gospel. Jesus, when he came, when he talks about baptizing, he talks about a new identity. It doesn't erase what we've done, but it changes our future. See, growing to be someone who lives like Jesus would live affects the very core, the identity of who we are. And Jesus talked about this when he gave the Great Commission. And let me read it again. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. What? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptizing has this idea of identity. Do you know what what baptism or baptize means? Literally, it means to dip or to immerse. Now, we think of dip, probably most of us is like, I got my coffee and my cookie and I dip it a little and take a few bites. Or if you're not a coffee drinker like me, like I got my, my milk and my cookie and we dip and we eat and nibble on the edges. Or maybe you think of dip like you're, it's a hot day and you're on the lake and you go out onto the dock and you sit on the end and you dip your toes in the water, you dip your feet in the water. This is not what baptized means. It is way more invasive, way more violent than that. Literally, baptized means to plunge, to be overwhelmed, to be drowned, to sink, to be flooded. In in the first century, this word baptized wasn't just used in Christianese terms. It was just a a term you'd use, and, and, and contemporaries of Jesus would use this word to speak of ships that had sunk. They were baptized in the lake. They didn't make it over the journey. 
right? It would talk about people who, who had drowned in the, in the lake when swimming. It's like they were baptized in the lake. In fact, Josephus, who was a first century uh, uh, historian, he used the word to talk about how when the city of Jerusalem was flooded, baptized with people, the city was wrecked. It's quite a violent term. And Jesus comes along and says, go and make disciples baptizing. Baptizing them in what? In the name of the Father, in the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Baptizing. Baptizing is this idea of they are overwhelmed, flooded, drowned, sunk in a new name. In the name of the Father, they're now children of God. Sunk, drowned, overwhelmed, flooded in the name of the Son. As we identify with Jesus, we are one with him. And flooded, sunk, drowned in the name, baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting as you read the uh, book of Acts, which gives us the history of the early church. As people were baptized, the Spirit would come on them. And it was like they were overwhelmed by the Spirit. And they were given gifts and did all kinds of unreal things. This wasn't just a, you know, baptized in the name. There's this peace of God that becomes part of us. We are overwhelmed in the name, given a new name, a brand new identity. You know, the Apostle Paul, a number of decades, a couple of decades after Jesus would say this, would kind of work out what this whole idea of baptism means. And as he writes to a group of Christians in Rome, and you can, if you have your Bibles, go to Romans chapter 6. And we're going to spend some time in Romans and then a few pages later in Ephesians. So you're kind of ready for today's message. And here's what the Apostle Paul writes about this idea of baptism, this idea of being drowned, sunk in the name, identifying and being, being given a new name. He says this, what? what shall we say then? Shall we... He's talking about believers. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? In essence, he's asking a question. Should we just continue in the trajectory of our lives as our lives have been going now that we are followers of Jesus? Has nothing changed? Should we just go on sinning? The word sin is this this idea of being separated, broken from God because of disobedience. And then Paul says, by no means. In fact, if Paul could shout in writing, He's shouting right now, right? This is unthinkable. It's unthinkable. We cannot continue in the same trajectory of what we've been doing because we are not the same people that we were when we started that trajectory. He says, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? We are those who died. You know, we use this word died, you know, when you're in junior high and you had a relationship and then you broke up and you're really angry at the person. We say things like, you're dead to me right? Because I'm so mad at you. You're dead to me. It's like, what do we mean? It's like, it's like you don't exist. And this is what Paul says. We are those who died. We are dead to sin. Sin, I'm dead. You're dead to me. Everything has changed. Why? Because you are a new creation. Everything has changed. In fact, in Romans, if you know the, the book of Romans, Paul's been building up to this. He starts in chapter one, two, and three, and he talks about how we are all sinners for two, two main reasons. One, because of what we have uh, sins, because we have committed sins, because of commitment issues, but also because of association. Commitment means that we have all committed sin. Either we didn't do the things we were supposed to do or we did things we weren't supposed to do and we have disobeyed God. We have sinned before God. But we are also sinners by association. 
And what this means is sin is hereditary. And the moment you were conceived, the moment you were born and sucked oxygen for the first time, you did that in sin. Your identity was in sin. And this passed on from your parents and grandparents and great-grand, and it goes all the way back to the first human, Adam. And sin has been passed down. And so even if you were to be able to say, which none of us could, I've never done anything wrong, you'd still be in sin. That's your identity. It's something that was given to you, not by choice, and it's not fair, but it's true. And we are sinners, but Paul, in essence, says everything's changed. See, previously, we were dead in sin, but now everything's changed. Now we are dead to sin. Or he goes on, don't you know, he kind of works this, don't you know that all of us who were what? Baptized, flooded, overwhelmed, sunk into Christ Jesus, were baptized, overwhelmed, flooded, sunk into his death. Meaning you, the moment you put your faith in Jesus, became one, you identified, your identity changed, it became in Christ. And because of that, and this is so important, we therefore, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. Important, but for what reason? In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Our hope as followers of Jesus, as believers, as Christians, is that just as Jesus died, we die with him, but our hope is that we will not remain dead. That as Christ was raised, we too will be raised because we have identified, become one, been sunk in, drowned in the name, the identity of Jesus. For, he goes on, for if we have been united, right, this idea of unification with him in a death like his, we will all, uh, certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Just as we died with him, we identify with him in death, we will identify with him in resurrection. For we know that our old self, and it's so important, that old self, here's the picture, your old identity, the one you want to shed, he said it's been shed, just we know that our old self was crucified, put to death with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. This is what God has done for you in Jesus. That previously you were dead in sin and now he says we are dead to sin. Everything has changed. You are brand new. In Christ, we have been made new. That means our past no longer defines us. Our identity has changed. And our vices no longer have power over us. Everything has changed. You have been made new. And baptism is a picture of that. Now I want to kind of do some shameless advertising here for just a second. On February 12th, we're having a baptism service. And I want to invite those of you who have never been baptized to consider becoming baptized a picture of what God has done through Jesus for you that you are declaring publicly, I identify, I am one with Christ and I am being buried in baptism in his death and raised to new life. That's why we go under the water and back out of the water. This is now who I 
am. If you've never been baptized, but you have put your faith in Jesus, it's already true. Why not say publicly, this is true of what's me, uh, this is true of me. Now, I want to just talk about one weird thing that happens in evangelical churches like Mount Olive Church. One of the weird things that happens is, you know, when it comes to baptism, typically, uh, you know, kids might be like, hey, I should be baptized. And we're like, no, you should wait till you're older, like teenager years. That's when you get baptism, baptized. And then you might wait until you're kind of a teenager, and then you missed it. You didn't do it. And then you're 25. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, it's kind of awkward now. And then you're 35. And all of a sudden, you're 45 and 55 and 65 and 85 and you've never been baptized, and suddenly a thought goes through your mind, I can't get baptized now, because if I get baptized now, everyone will know I wasn't baptized. (laughs) And we get this pressure, and we put off something that Jesus has invited us to be baptized, to to declare publicly, We we are staking our flag with Christ. We are in him. We have been made new. We are a new creation. It's who I am because of Christ. And so I want to invite you, even if you're 85 and you're like, ah, it's so awkward and weird, just come have a conversation. Let's talk about it. And if you haven't been baptized, baptized, consider being baptized, declaring in Christ, I have been made brand new. Brand new. You know, salvation works, doesn't it? See, here's the thing about salvation. We do not, we do not work for our salvation. There is nothing you can do to earn what Christ has done. He does all the work. You can't go to church enough. You can't feed the poor enough. You can't stay away from sin enough. You can't enough your way into salvation. It has all been done. There is no work for you to do to earn salvation. You cannot earn it. It's a gift. God already did the work through his son, Jesus. He paid for your debt on the cross. There is nothing left for you to do, but here's the interesting thing. Although we do not work for our salvation, salvation most definitely does work. And that is true on at least two uh, spheres. We're gonna talk about one next week where salvation begins to transform us. And it does work. But here's how I want to talk about it. Salvation does work in the sense that as you put your faith in Jesus, it does something. It changes something for you. In fact, it changes everything for you. And so to dive into that, I want to go a little bit further in your scripture and read Ephesians chapter 1. And if you have your Bibles, turn there. This is, we're going to go through this pretty fast. But the Apostle Paul, same guy who wrote Romans, writes for us and says, here's what salvation accomplishes. Here's what happens when you put your faith in Jesus. And it's mind-blowing. We cannot wrap our heads around it, but we got to go through it because it is amazing. Here's what he writes. He says, For, or praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every, and that is such an important word. If you have a pen, a, a, a pencil, underline, highlight, circle, star the word every, every spiritual blessing in Christ. When Paul says every, he doesn't mean like most or a lot or some. He means Every, and this is where it's completely mind-blowing, what we all have been given through the person of Christ. You want to dive in? He starts to list them. He says this, For he, God chose us 
in him, in Christ, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now, again, you have that pen? Underline, highlight, circle the word in him. This, these two words show up at least four more times in the next 10 verses. And this whole thing is packaged up with that idea. In him. Another way we could read this is this. Before the creation of the world, God chose that those who are in him would be blameless and holy in his sight. And he decided this before the world was ever created, meaning you can't change it. Your feelings don't change it. What people say about you doesn't change it. How you uh, interact with it doesn't change it. It's true. He decided it. It's a declared truth. There's some parts of the Christian life that we grow into. It's called sanctification. This is not one of them. This is something that God, before the creation of the world, before you were a thought in your father's eye, he already declared it. Before the creation of the world, that those he chose that those who are in Christ, those who have put their faith in Christ, would be seen in his sight as holy and blameless. This is unreal. It means every time you look in the mirror and you see, you see sinner, and you know it's true. Because you know you and you know what you've done. And you could write on there all the things, the things that you are afraid for others to find out about what you have done, your sin. Every time you look in the mirror and you see sinner, do you know what your heavenly father sees? Saint. And he said before the world was created, I would see you as a saint. Those who are in Christ, he chose to see them as holy and blameless. And the moment you look in the mirror and you see guilty, your heavenly father declares over you, if you are in Christ and you can't change it, it's already been declared. You're innocent. And when you look in the mirror and you say, I'm so blamable, <laughs> I know me, I know I'm to blame, your heavenly father looks at you and says, you are blameless. And you can't change it because he determined, he chose that those who would be in him would be seen in his sight as holy and blameless. Now we could stop here and say, that is more than I can comprehend. How would my heavenly father, after all that I've done, after what I know I've done, why would he declare this over me? It's unbelievable. You have Paul's just getting started. He goes on, he says, in love, he predestined us for adoption. Remember, in love, in him, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Christ. In Christ, you are a child of God. You went from enemies to child. You went from unloved to loved. And this one's a little bit harder to understand, so I'm going to have to work this out a little bit. Some of you think, wait, wait, wait. So people who aren't in Christ, people who aren't Christians or followers of Jesus are not loved by God? It looks like that's what I'm saying, but I'm not. See, we know from John 3, 16, the most famous verse in all of Scripture, for God so what? Loved the world. He loves all people. And he, he has extended his love to all people the exact same. But here's what I mean. When I say moving from unloved to love, although all the world has been, uh, has, God has extended his love to all the world, not all the world experiences the full measure of God's love. Not all the world receives 
the full benefit of that love. Let me describe it this way. Imagine for a second that I'm not Mennonite, because being Mennonite, I would never do this, but I would extend out of my love $10 to each of you. As I said, you have to imagine, because I would never do this, okay? Find a more generous pastor if you wish, but no, just kidding. Um, But out of my generosity and out of my love, I extend $10 to each of you. I have extended the same love to each of you, but only those who receive the gift experience the full benefit of that love. Isn't that true? And this is what God has done as well, that he extends his love the same to everyone. God so loved the world, but not all the world receives the full benefit of experiencing his love because you have to receive it. And the moment you become in Christ, the moment you put your faith in Christ and gain that new identity, you have just received the full benefit. In a sense, you went from unloved to love because you have experienced and embraced the full benefit of the love of God, moving from enemy to child. He goes on, and this was all done in accordance with his pleasure and will. I think this is so great. In essence, it's just Paul saying, and God did this just because he wanted to. That's it. You know, we have sometimes this idea of our Heavenly Father that He is a stingy, harsh Father. And this is so untrue. God did all this not because He had to, not because like, oh, I should. This was His pleasure. This was His will. He just did it because He wanted to. And it was for the praise, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. And He goes on, in Him, there's those words again, in Him, this is all in Christ. In Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, which means we have moved from those who were broken to those who have been redeemed. We have moved from those who are the condemned to those who are called the forgiven. And every time you look at you and say, oh, I'm so condemned, your heavenly father says, oh, you are so forgiven. (laughs) And this is all in accordance with the riches of God's grace, a gift we couldn't earn. He just gives that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us a mystery, something that was unknown. He made known to us the mystery of his, of his will according to his good pleasure, which means we just move from dark to light. And this he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ, in him, there it is again, this is all in Christ, in Jesus, we were also chosen, which means you just moved, when you are in Christ, you move from not being chosen to being chosen. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we And this is interesting. In order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory and you also were included in Christ. This, all these blessings came to you when you heard the message of truth, but not just heard about Jesus. The gospel of your salvation, but also when you believed. In essence, he says, you became in Christ. You became in him. You became all those things he just listed. When you heard the message, the gospel of your salvation, but you didn't just hear it, you received it. 
And you, at that moment, were marked in him. There it is again. It's all in Christ. With a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. You were flooded with the Holy Spirit who is a deposit, God's spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. And this is all to the praise of his glory, which means you've been sealed and you have a guaranteed, because God's spirit is in you, a guaranteed inheritance. Wow, wow. In Christ, everything changed. In Christ, you have been made new, brand new. Your past no longer defines you and your vices no longer have power over you. You are not that person anymore. You are in Christ. Now, I don't know if you caught all those things, but let me list them really fast because it's just unbelievable. He said, you move from sinner to saint, from guilty to innocent, from blameable to blameless, from enemies to children, from unloved to love. You move from being broken to redeemed, from condemned to forgiven, from dark to light, from not chosen to chosen. You've been sealed. You've been guaranteed an inheritance. And this is just one little section of one letter in the entire New Testament. Oh, I told you. It's unbelievable. And we could go on in other places. Paul says, you are alive. You're not dead. You sit in the heavenlies with God. You share in his glory. You are co-heirs. Think about that. Everything that's been promised to Jesus is yours. You're a co-heir with Christ. That's unbelievable. And he says, you co-reign. Jesus has been given all authority, all authority. And he invites you and says, come reign with me. Wow. And I look in the mirror and see sinner, and he says that. No wonder Paul started this by saying, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with what? Every, Every not some not stingily, not, oh, here, I'll give you a little bit. With every spiritual blessing in Christ, in Christ you are brand new. Brand new. I don't know. I feel like if you're not a Christian, you should be a Christian. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm like, don't miss out. God in his love, your heavenly father, when you were far from him, has extended this to you. He said, would you receive it by placing your faith, your life in me and being baptized, sunk, flood, drowned in a new name? The name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, I think sometimes we hear messages like this. And then Monday comes. And suddenly the temptation comes and we fall. And that person comes and we react the way we've always reacted. That's the old self. And we're filled with shame all over again. And we start to doubt what God has declared over us. And we start living out of an old identity that isn't our identity anymore. And we forget what God has done. And so what we've done to help remind you of the truth, because we live out of who we are, that when those moments come, we have a card in the back, and we've listed some. We couldn't fill them all. We put the scripture on the back that we just studied. But we, we listed some that you're a saint, you're not a sinner, you're innocent, you're not guilty. You're his child, you're in light, you're redeemed, you're chosen, you're forgiven. That the moment Monday comes, and your actions 
fill you with guilt or the enemy's word on you which says, yeah, you heard that yesterday, but I know your past and you know your past and it comes to condemn you. That you have this card nearby that says, no, no, no. It, It is declared. It's actually not based on how I feel. It's not actually based on what I think. It was declared before the foundations of the world, before I was a thought. God already declared that those who are in Christ would be seen as blameless and holy. So I am his child and I am forgiven and I can't change it. So uh, we have put some cards together. And if you want one, please take one. Uh, Put it on your mirror. Put it in your office, in your vehicle. um, Wherever, we we have a digital copy if you want as a backdrop to your phone or your your computer where you are reminded when the enemy comes, when, when guilt comes to declare a truth, the truth of who you are in the person of Jesus. You know, our mission is to see people become that. To see people receive what God has done on our behalf. This means growing to be someone who lives like Jesus lived to gain his identity, to be made new. Where our past no longer defines us and our vices no longer have power over us. Because God, before the creation of the world, said, you're forgiven. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you. Your word says you did all this because you wanted to. It's unbelievable. And your word says this is all to the praise and glory of the Father. And we don't know how to respond other than to say thank you. Father, for those who have not received your love, maybe some of you are here or listening online right now, and something's working in your own heart. Listen to that voice. God is speaking to you. Would you receive what he's done on your behalf? And Father, for those of us who have, we know that the grind of day to day and our struggle in these bodies of sin can cause us to disbelieve and live out of an old identity. May you, by your spirit, remind us of truth and allow us to live out of who we are in you. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We trust you have been encouraged and challenged in your faith journey. If you're desiring prayer, want more information on our church, want to partner with us or be involved in any way, please go to our website at mountoliveefc.com. We'll see you next time.